Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty Spotlight Interviews. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with the insights from a different perspective of Business Fight Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. How do you ignite your inner drive? My guest today has dedicated much of his life and thinking to this question. Sharath Cheevan has worked with schools and educators, young people, businesses, governments, and others from around the world on motivation, both personal and organizational. His work has been featured in the New York Times, The Economist, NPR, CNN, The Hindustan Times, and The Times of India. Sharath holds degrees from Cambridge University, Oxford University, and INSEAD. So I'm very privileged and pleased to welcome Sharath. Hello. Thanks, Kitty. So good to be on. It's good to have you. Sharath, I wanted to open our conversation today. Would you mind just telling us a bit more about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Kitty. So I really empathize with Business Fights Poverty audience. I myself um, was a, a social entrepreneur, if that's a word I can use. I, uh, I ran uh, CSR Sustainability within eBay in the UK uh, previously. I've spent the last 15 years as a social entrepreneur, leading um, two organizations in the field of education. The most recent one, really looking at how we can motivate or reignite the motivation of teachers in emerging countries in places like India, East Africa, Southeast Asia, and so on. Uh, that was called Stir Education. I founded it about 10 years ago. Um, I handed over the reins at the end of last year. And by that time, it had reached about 200,000 teachers, about 35,000 schools, and about 7 million children, all with the view of really reigniting that love of teaching or that love of learning in classrooms around, around those countries. And that got me really deeply excited and interested in this topic of, of motivation, what really drives us. And how can we solve the really big motivational challenges that have happened? I, I think they happened before the pandemic. They've clearly got even more severe and acute during it. But how can we use you know, motivation science and thinking to try to crack these problems and, and live more fulfilling lives? And I, I have a book coming out in a matter of, uh, in early September called Intrinsic, a manifesto to reignite our inner drive. I try to look at a lot of the evidence, but also storytelling from around the world around how we can look at work, our success, relationships, parenting, citizenship with that lens, or with a view of how can we move forward as individuals in our organizations and companies and as societies and live that more, more motivating life. And I'm a bit of a geek, Sharath. When you talk about motivational science and the leading edge of it, what does that actually mean? Like, what, does, what is motivational science when it's at home? How do we, who are the leading thinkers? How do we sort of touch it and get engaged with it? Yeah, so, so there's a fantastic body of knowledge now, over about 30 years of research, um, Katie, from uh, all around the world in terms of studies now, and led by two really fantastic academics. One of them is, is, is Richard Ryan, who really has driven that over that period. But what's, what's exciting for that, that, that global body of knowledge is that I think, first of all, there's real optimism that motivation is not something that we're born with. Uh, a bit like the idea of a growth mindset, it's something we can all develop. And it's really, and I think the second piece of really good news from that science is that all of us, you know, I think are born with a, with a significant degree of intrinsic motivation, of, of inner drive, if you like. 
it's usually the, the systems, the cultures, the processes around us, whether that's at work or how we act as parents, that, that gets in the way. So we need to reconfigure that. And I think a third piece of, of, I don't know if it's good news or not, but it's that what we actually often think motivates us is not what really deeply motivates us. So in other words, things like money, status, how fancier the coffee is in the, in the world of work, et cetera, these things are what we can call, think of as hygiene factors. They can reduce demotivation, but we need much deeper drivers of purpose, autonomy, and mastery to really get more fulfilled in, in whatever aspect of our lives we're, we're talking about. Wow, that's such interesting thoughts. And, and you mentioned your book earlier on, Intrinsic. For those of us who haven't read it yet, can you share a little bit more about what it covers and, and the insights that you've been finding through the research you've been doing? Yes, yeah, so the book really asks, you know, I think the, the core narrative of the book is, is twofold. Really. I think it will probably, I hope, resonate very strongly with the BFP audience. One, I think, is this, this idea that the challenges we're facing today in the world are almost all in the domain of, of wicked rather than kind problems. So we're not, you know, the breakthroughs and opportunities we need to find now, there, there are no easy technical solutions for. If you look at something like climate change or poverty, um, hugely complex, hugely wicked issues, because there is no one single solution. It's also clear that a technical solution alone is not going to solve it. It's going to be about norms, behaviors, culture, coordination, cooperation, all the things that are, we've seen how challenging they've been through the pandemic. So that's one frame the book takes. The other frame is really this idea that, unfortunately, um, you know, we're increasingly in a winner-takes-all world where almost everything in our lives, whether it's income or our success in the labor market or our ability to get good and, and uh, fulfilling jobs, it increasingly accrues to a few people and not the many. And so what the book tries to do is says, well, given these two big narratives in the world, how do we, how do we reset our lives to, to maximize our motivation given that backdrop? And really with three lenses, one is individuals, how can we all live more motivating lives? The second thing is, you know, I think perhaps especially um, pertinent for this audience, um, in our companies and organizations, how do we create organizations that are, are more motivating and also nurture the talents of all of our, of our staff and employees and, and stakeholders more widely? And thirdly, at the level of societies, how do we come together? You know, how do we re- fix our politics, for example? So we can solve some of these really challenging problems out there. So it tries to look at the, the world from that lens and apply the, these constructs of motivation thinking to them. And I talked about the, the importance of this idea of purpose, that, that that sense of what we do helping and serving others, that sense of autonomy that we feel at the wheel of our own lives, able to, to, to control it, and that sense of mastery of us becoming the best versions of ourselves we can be. I try to use those three pillars to to both diagnose the problems in our world today, but also try to find some practical solutions uh, using a range of stories and a range of evidence from all over the world. Charith, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing with with us a bit more about actually what actions are you suggesting? I I know you've been thinking about this in terms of personal action, but also potentially for a sort of at an organisational level. So from that research in your book, what would you be suggesting to us? So let me, let me step in the shoes of perhaps a BFP, you know, a member actually, Katie, that's okay, part of the network and the movement you're building. And you know, I ran um, uh, CSR initiatives at eBay across Europe. So I have a real, a real sense of, of empathy here. I know how challenging it is to be an entrepreneur, if I can use that word, you know, to be an kind of entrepreneur from within. And I used to often joke at eBay, I think I can say this, but you know, 
there's always that problem of sort of deep pockets but short arms, right? That uh, you know, the companies that many of members are working in have enormous resources and and capabilities and skills and 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 genuine desire to make the world a better place. But how do you make that happen? You know, they've got you've got quarterly forecasts, share price pressure, business as usual imperatives, all of these things that are obstacles to our our attempts to try and create change in our companies. And so I think you know, with that lens on. I think these ideas of a purpose, autonomy, and mastery can be very powerful. Let, let me start with purpose, if that's okay. And I think what has happened in the world of, of work is that you know all work at its core is meant to be purposeful. That it's all about. I think ever ever since we were cave women and cave men, I think we always saw that need to help and serve others. What's happened, I think, in the world of modern work is that we've sliced and diced it into so many silos and factions and. Units and, and kind of bureaucracy, basically, that we've lost sight of that core purpose. And so, a lot of the work I'm doing with companies right now is, is working with leaders in, in those companies to to reconfigure that purpose and create the feedback loops that enable all work to feel genuinely purposeful and therefore motivating. And so, to take one uh, one example, let's say that um, a a leader is trying to create a new business line. Which has got a stronger social purpose in their organization. They're trying to battle. It's a new initiative, therefore they're trying to battle budget constraints. They're they're not getting the bandwidth they need from the senior management of the company. Uh, all of these things. I think we're at this really interesting tipping point where so many staff now in companies want to see that purpose for what they do every day. The fact that business line is coming, you know, is is on, on its way. Is going to have such a big knock-on effect on the whole company, even if at the beginning the sales of that product or business lineup are quite small. So I think one of the you know questions I'm really intrigued about is how can we tap into that that trend, that real hunger for purpose we're seeing uh, among the workforce. Uh, McKinsey have shown that since the pandemic, our desire for purpose from our work has increased actually, and it's now up to seventy percent of our overall purpose in life that comes from our work now. So how can you know us? Uh, can we all as leaders try to tap into that? Is one of the questions that I'd, I'd ask to begin with. Sharath, from your vantage point, I mean, you're clearly thinking deeply. You've got huge background and experience working at the sort of coal face and front line of, of trying to make businesses do more social good and untap that opportunity. What are the sort of top trends that you're seeing that others might not be aware of, perhaps? I think one of the things that I, I'd say that is really Hampered social progress, and argue over the last um, of the past years has been the sense that we do one thing at work and another thing in our wider lives. And I think what that that's allowed us to be, honestly, is quite lazy in the world of work. We've allowed ourselves to think that we're, we're kind of on this treadmill. We're going to find our um, our fulfillment elsewhere. We may have a hobby, we may have a passion, we may want to volunteer, we may have a favorite charity, or we may want to you know, do some conservation work on, on you know, as, a, as a side hobby, et cetera. I think what the pandemic has shown is that that has just collapsed. And I think what I think what many people want now is really to see this as an integrated whole. And what I try and argue in the book is that work has become one of the key ways that we help and serve others in life more broadly. You know, many of the other areas of our lives, we're becoming more and more fragmented. Work is still one of the few places where we can make a really deep contribution, and so I think that trend towards desire and hunger for purpose is so strong now. What is not very well developed, and this is why I spend a lot of time now advising companies and, and governments and so on, this 
is how do you draw purpose lines back into the core of companies again? Because I think it's become very jaded often. I, I was citing in the book some, some Gallup data that shows that 85% of employees now are either engaged or, sorry, disengaged or, or actively disengaged now in their work globally. And so how do we try and fight back and create that, those lines of purpose in, in there? So that would be one thing I do as a leader is how can you really make a clear statement for what your company stands for beyond just the product or service it's, it's delivering? But I think another part, which is a, I think another thing that people are really struggling with at the moment is that link with, with personal purpose. So you know, many companies or every company now pretty much has a, has a mission statement. I'm a big believer in every person, all of us, having a personal mission statement. And I think it's when what I find people are most motivated are when the, the personal mission statement and the, and the company mission statements align. Uh, let me just give you an example of, a, of my personal mission statement right now. In this chapter of my life, it's, you know, I help organizations and individuals reignite inner drive by writing, coaching, and consulting. So if you can express that idea of a personal mission statement in a single line, a single sentence, that gives you a sense as, as, as an individual uh, manager or worker, a sense of where you want to go. You can link that with the, the, the purpose statement of the company. And I think that, that sort of marriage between the two becomes how we can think about modern work. I don't know if that makes sense, first of all, um, Katie, as a, as a direction and trend I'm seeing. Yeah, it makes huge sense. And, and interesting, I, I mean, I personally, I come out of big corporates and I now work for Business Fights Poverty. And it's interesting where that where your personal purpose and your business's or organization's purpose align and the sort of feeling that work stops being work and it's just about doing what feels right and that's a sort of unlocking of opportunity as much as anything but but definitely energy as well definitely every build on it and 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 i think that whole desire for authenticity of work now and you know i talked about autonomy that sense of us being at the wheel of our own lives What's happened, I think, again, is that I think because of the pressures of you know, bureaucratization and, and growth, companies have responded to these really cookie-cutter job descriptions, for example. You know, they all look the same. They're pretty uninspiring. What I'm seeing a real trend is, to, to build on your question, is a trend towards much more job crafting. And that's where you know, basically com- you know, individuals and their managers and companies saying, look, let me create a job description that, yes, 50% of it is, is, is kind of standard. It's, you know, if I'm an accountant or a change manager, I've got to do certain things or stay in multi-manager. There are things I just have to do. That's part of my, my job. But back to that, that link between personal purpose and, and organizational purpose, there are many unique things that I can bring as an individual and as a leader. How do I craft my job to be able to do that? And nowadays, modern work, you know, it's, it's, it's a wicked, not, not a kind problem, as we talked about. There's no one answer, no, no single right answer. A job can be fulfilling and motivating, impactful in so many different ways. And it's that new deal, that marriage between an individual worker, their manager, and the company that's going to be the core of meaningful work. So I think this idea of, of allowing more autonomy now, and, and companies shouldn't be afraid. It doesn't mean anarchy. I talk in the book about this idea of guided autonomy, where you can still you know, promote key organizational values, for example, around diversity or sustainability or inclusion but still allow each employee to feel they can express their unique talents at work. And just the final trend I'll, I'll, I'll talk about to close off your question is, is around mastery. 
And what has happened, I think, is that we have tended to focus on the technical aspects of our work so much, but not on the broader, what I call the book mastery essentials, things that make our work whole, holistic, meaningful, and motivating. So if you're an accountant, for example, in a company, you may have to produce the management accounts. But nowadays, that's going to become more and more automated. The key value in being an accountant as we go forward is about what you do with those numbers. Do you walk down the corridor and talk to your colleagues and explain what that means? Do you help, you know, help the company be more sustainable and more, more effective through those metrics? Those softer aspects of our mastery are rarely codified. They're often not even in job descriptions very, you know, very well. How do we develop that broader mastery so we feel that we're developing those wider skills that makes us more flexible and more fulfilled professionals at the core? And just to sort of round off our conversation, clearly you've been thinking about these particular topics, Sharath, quite a lot. And I wonder whether, is this a continuation for you? Will you be kind of continuing on your intrinsic path for some time or sort of what's next? What's What's sort of up or sort of on your list for, for next activities? Yeah, so I think what I really want to try and do, Kitty, in this, this phase uh, of, my, of my own uh, career adventure is to really inspire a movement around this topic. We've got the research now. We know it's really valid and robust. What we don't know a lot about right now is how to actually make it happen. And I think the book was, for me, a, a first shot at really making, uh, bring some really practical ideas of how to use all this, this research around us in very practical ways at the organizational, individual, and societal level. What I hope we can try to do now is try to create real exemplars, real examples of this happening in organizations. And in doing so, change some of our mental models. I think for too many managers still, if you ask someone, you know, ask them, how do you motivate someone? They say, pay them a bonus, or here's an incentive, or here's a, some kind of you know, enforcement mechanism. or that, That's the, or too often the way of thinking. I think we've got to move our mindsets but I think if we can do that really powerfully across an organization, the sustainability challenge that we have been grappling with for so many years will become so much easier because that way of thinking will open our minds up to these, these much more wicked problems we're facing now. And I think we'll really unlock a lot of creativity and innovation that will allow us to solve those social problems through business itself. So yeah, no, really committed to working uh, on that. Obviously, the book is out now, um, but also. I consult now to groups ranging from the Economist Group to the London School of Economics around motivation. I'm just really loving the variety of, of work that I do, helping really make this a reality for a, a wide range of leaders and organizations. And we look forward to following you as you build that movement, Sharath. And for anybody who's listening um, and they wanted to get involved or find out anything more, how should they do that, Sharath? So please, uh, one of the easiest ways, I, I do a lot of writing on LinkedIn and sharing updates. Please follow me, Sharath Jeevan, on, on LinkedIn. My website is intrinsic-labs, so intrinsic-labs.com. And the book Intrinsic, A Manifesto to Reignite Our Inner Drive is, is on Amazon, but also independent bookstores and bookstores across, uh, across the UK and across the world as well. So I hope it really starts to trigger that first conversation around this really important topic. Wonderful. Thank you very much for sharing with us uh, those important insights and yeah, hopefully we'll all be more motivated as a result. Shara, thank you very much for your time today, sir. Thanks. Thanks, AT. My pleasure. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. 